Hello and welcome to Painless Universal, a conversation with me and wealth. All right, guys, I am really excited about today. I, I am particularly excited because this person I'm talking to understands, um, understands the current situation and current pandemic that we've got, we're all going through right now. Her name is Danielle. Um, you've all seen her. She did a recent interview with BBC. She's been, she's a disability advocate. She's a sickle cell sufferer like myself. And it gives me great joy in introducing her because we, I can't keep my story to myself. I can't tell my own story. We have to share, we have to share knowledge. And I want you to listen. Join me as I talk to her. Thank you. My name is Danielle Junadu and I am a COVID-19 survivor. I have sickle cell anemia, inflammatory bowel disease and what I would call arthritis tendencies. And due to those illnesses, my COVID-19 was able to kind of go under the radar for quite a bit until I came home. When I came home, I actually gave COVID-19 to my whole family. I gave it to my mum and she became very, very ill. She's also in the shielding category, which means she's very high risk. So she was in hospital for two weeks. And when she was there, she tested positive positive with the virus. So through her testing positive, um, our doctors were able to come to the conclusion that that was what I had actually been struggling with too. So it was really hard because we weren't able to be in communication with her in the way that we would like to be and like anybody would want to be with their ill family. So the thing that really helped me to get through it um, emotionally and mentally and kind of stay in a positive place despite all the challenges that we were going through as a family was just this belief that I am intrinsically a survivor. Um, I've gone through many different things. Sickle cell is not an easy disease at all to be dealing with. Um, it's a very aggressive disease and has taken me on many journeys. My post body on Instagram was really to highlight this development in my relationship with myself. Um, this newfound trust that I was having with my body, because um, it's definitely newfound, I did not have it before. Dealing with sickle cell from such a young age, I really saw my body as a burden, something that took a lot away from me, experiences and opportunities and stopped me from doing the things I wanted to do and stop me from being on the same sort of trajectory as everybody else. I'm starting to see this little disabled body of mine as a really good friend rather than an enemy. Together we are forging new heights, battling new challenges, taking on greater giants and breaking huge barriers. The thing I had to fall back on is just this understanding that I had gone through so many things before and I had made it out on the other side. This message is not one to say that anybody that did not survive has something wrong with them or that their body is less than. More so it's to thank my chronically ill body for all it's doing for me and how much it fights for me on a daily basis. Hi, hello, how are you? <laughs> how are you? I'm good, I'm good. No, absolutely, you look amazing you Thank look well you. Oh, that's good that's good I yeah. look well. <laughs> you look well yeah and um, but before i start um i want to say thank you thank you for accepting my um interview request um yes. i for anyone listening i literally met you by chance my mom sent me in um a link and said I need you to talk to her I'm like mom who is she she's like just go read up her story and look oh. at her 
Instagram page and see what she's all about. And I did that. And I'm like, wow, I love a person. I know there's several of us out there doing a lot of sickle cell advocates yeah. and talking more about sickle cell. But there you are. I read your story and I was totally, I was really, really impressed by what I was reading and what you did. Then I was more really, I'm really taken back when you talked about the COVID-19 with BBC. That really touched me. Yeah. But I will go into that later. But before we start, everyone wants to know who, we, who is Daniela and who is she? What, what is a little bit about your background? And yes, just just what makes um, what what makes you so interesting for us to listen in because for me you're very interesting. But I just wanted everyone to hear it from you. Thank you. Um, who is Danielle? Danielle is 24. Um, she's a student. Um, I study law at the University of Warwick. Um, my journey's been really long in trying to stay there and actually finish my degree because of all the health sickle cell stuff has made it really prolonged. Um, but Danielle currently is just trying to make it through, get to the end of her degree, because I, I find human rights really important. That's literally one of my passions, and that kind of intersects with my, um, like, care, and, like, I have a passion about medical law also. Um, and also, the more and more I do sickle cell advocacy, the more and more, like, my passion around medical work develops, because I see the need for... Um, there to be a change in how we address sickle cell in different countries around the world, primarily Nigeria, because that's where I'm from. I believe that's where we're also yeah, from. Yes. So, um, yeah, now my, I'm really thinking more about medical law and how you can give people medical rights, like, internationally and stuff like that. So that's really important to me at the moment. Um, Danielle has sickle cell, inflammatory bowel disease, and arthritis tendencies, is what I always, always say. Um, but yeah, so I've been dealing with sickle cell from a really young age. Um, I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease when I was around 18. Um, so I couldn't sit my A-levels, but I sat them the next year. Um, and I sat them in hospital, actually. So that's a massive part of my story, sitting my A-levels in hospital. And then um, I eventually got to Warwick doing this law degree and like dealing with my health and stuff like that at Warwick is when I kind of really took on this role of advocacy because... I was realizing there was lots of people like me in similar positions with me, but just didn't know how to speak about the stuff they were going through. And I felt that um, I need to kind of help them um, because I was lucky in the sense that my mum really taught me from a young age how to be an advocate for myself. So I knew how to like write letters. I knew how to say to my teachers, this is what I need, A, B, and C, help me in this way. I have health issues. I knew how to like just advocate for myself, get the extensions I needed, get the special requirements I needed. But I met a lot of people that did not know how to. And then it became an effort of mine to try and help people with that. And also just speak about sickle cell, the need for blood donors, um, because I was realizing that there were some sort of, some people that needed just black blood. Like my sister, she needs black blood primarily. Um, so she got sickle cell as well. Yeah, she does. She has sickle cell and she had autoimmune liver disease, but she had a liver transplant actually two years ago so um it became very important to me to do a lot more advocacy about blood donation and stuff like that so yeah that's what Danielle is that's what Danielle does but, yeah uh, and um do you mind mind me asking how old you are because I think a little sorry 24 wow okay um I'm I'm really amazed by you because I'm 39 going on the um, turning on 40 very soon. And, yeah. 
I'm so excited about that. I can't wait because I don't know. It was one of those things. Never one, no, no one ever guessed that um, with sickle cell we could get to those. That, um, we could get to that, especially because I was always very, very sick. Yeah. Well, what fascinates me a lot with your story is because um, at your age, you know a lot. And I'm so honored to meet people like yourself who know what they need and what their body wants and how to utilize that skill to help others. I remember my time, um, my mom didn't know much about sickle and she never heard about it. So when I was diagnosed, it was a bit, a little bit different from your own time. So it was challenging for me at, um, at secondary school. I had to repeat. I started secondary school at the age of 20, um, university at age of 22. And yeah. that was absolutely difficult for me because I didn't know what to do. But when I started knowing what to do, that's when I started getting better and getting help, the help I needed. Because we, I heard you say something about we need to advocate for that help we need because yeah. we don't know the help is out there. Especially when we miss school, when we miss, and uh, my problem was even taking notes. I just couldn't write. I write for bits, and then after a while, my, my hands would go numb. It would all be swollen. The teachers would be asking, eh, what's wrong? Why is your hand all swollen? I'm like, I don't know. So, so it's something I had with the hand that just has always been a problem with me. So um, to hear your story, I said to myself, I have to talk to you because I want you to keep encouraging many, many more people out there mm -hmm. who are in that situation of not knowing. And your story is very similar to mine where I decided to go for investment management to work for the big corporate. But mm. what's different is that I never knew I wanted to be an advocate. I never knew I wanted to talk globally about suffering, about pain. That actually came to me much later on in life. In fact, mine came to me about when I was 37. That's oh. my own gift of pain i've always wanted to do an advocacy for a lot of things but never particular or anything to do with sickle cell or pain because i've always been touchy about the subject of sickle cell because every time i try i was chairperson of the sickle cell society but what i find with sickle cells every time you try to advocate for it you get knocked back 20 steps backwards because there's either not enough funding or even the people themselves just don't understand. You don't meet a lot of people that understand why you're, why you're going above you. So I always, you know, when you get knocked back, you get knocked back with the disease itself. You get knocked back by people. I just felt, oh gosh, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing this. But when I saw your story, I'm like, man, you should never be tired. You might, you might be knocked back and you feel yes. like you're knocked back. But there are people out there, like your story, you might not know it touched so many people. And this is why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. But I'm going to go back into your own story because it's about you. I want to know so much about you. So how did you manage to get into um, university? Were there any struggles with getting to, into university and stuff? Yeah. Um, it was a really, really long journey, actually, because, well, as you said, literally, and when you said that you got to university at 22, it made so much sense to me. Whereas I know to a lot of people, it would not make sense to them. And particularly in Nigeria, you tend to go to university so early. So it made a sense because of how health so drastically impacts your studies and your academia. Um, for me, I remember literally all throughout primary school, I would be ill all the time. So I would always like have to fight, 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 fight to try and do just as well as everybody else. 
Um, and then I got to secondary school and when I got to secondary school it was the same thing all throughout my journey of education I would say I've always had to convince teachers that I'll do as well as I say I will do and I literally had to tell them like look I know that I'm not in school I know I miss a good percentage of your like lessons I know that I'm not giving homework the way that you feel like I should but I'm telling you I'm going to do well and I would always have to tell them and I remember literally having teachers tell me like how do you know you're going to do well why do you believe in yourself this much and I was just like I know myself and I know I'm very driven academically um I feel like I'm one of those people that work hard some people are naturally gifted some people work hard and I've always worked hard despite my illness and um I remember trying to get to my university I had it very clearly in my head that if I wasn't going to apply to the top 10 or Russell Group University, I didn't want to go. So I remember every single one of my options, bar one choice being like a top 10 Russell Group University, because I was really, really passionate about that. And when I got to year 12 and 13, I was talking to my teachers about how I wanted to do that. And they were really second guessing me so much because of my health. Like they were, they were just saying to me, like, I just don't think this is something you can do. But luckily, um, as I was saying, my mum always instructed me to just find one teacher. You just need one person um, to be on your side so they can like back you and fight your corner. So that's kind of what I did. I found this um, teacher, one of my teachers. Well, she wasn't even a teacher, that's the funny thing. She was just a pastoral care person in our um, form and I would always go to her and tell her like I was like look I need to be predicted three A's to go to university um I would tell her that's what I need but my teachers are trying to give me less than that even though I get those grades they're trying to give me less than that because they're scared I won't achieve it again because of my illnesses and she would always fight for me I remember literally busting through her doors crying like this teacher is predicting me a B and I would tell her and she would go and argue with that teacher for me and that really helped so when it came oh, to the really insightful yeah, yeah. It came to the time of um, me sitting my A-levels in year 13. Um, I remember that was the May I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. And my sickle cell and inflammatory bowel disease were kind of fighting with each other, if you call it that, or it kind of like aggravated the other. So I was in hospital with the inflammatory bowel disease stuff, but obviously with inflammatory bowel disease, because you're losing blood, that was aggravating my sickle cell quite a lot. So dealing with all of those things together, I was not able to do my A-levels that year because I was in hospital in exam season. But the next year came round and again, I was dealing with a new diagnosis for inflammatory bowel disease and sickle cell. They were very much not very comfortable with each other. They were really causing a lot of friction in my body. And I remember that was extremely challenging. Um, I was in and out of hospital throughout that entire year, always losing a lot of blood. I was on steroids for the inflammatory bowel disease and I just really did not like it at all. I felt like I was losing all control of my body very much so. Um, and dealing with that was a very long process. I remember being really upset about it at the time. So when exam season came around the following year and I was doing my year 13 again, it was so hard for me because I was back in hospital. And as a lot of sickle cell um, patients will know, people with sickle cell will know, uh, stress is one of the biggest causes of yeah. a crisis. So mm. I really felt like it was the fact that I was stressed that was putting me in hospital at exam seasons all the time. Mm. So my exam came around again, but this time I was really adamant I would sit my A-levels because I didn't want to have to do this again. So I had an amazing doctor, um, and that's something that's so key to our care, I think, an amazing doctor that really supports you. Mm -hmm. I had an amazing doctor and he literally 
he said to me, he was like, look, Danielle, you can do this exam if you really want to. We'll make it work for you here. We'll find a place for you here to sit this exam. Um, and he just assured me that if I failed, it was okay. I'd gone through a lot and it made sense. But he assured me that he believed in me, that I could actually succeed, even though I was going to sit this thing in the hospital. Mm. So he made a, a space for me. I sat my A-levels in the hospital library. Um, I remember the morning I literally went down in my pajamas, went down, sat that exam. And it was an amazing event, actually, because I really feel I'm very spiritual. And I really feel like God took me through that process. It was really hard, but I got the grades I needed to go to Warwick. But I remember in that exam, in one of my exams, having a sickle cell crisis in my arm and they had to give me extra time. And it was really hard because I was being weaned off morphine because I was having a crisis mm. previously. I was being weaned off more things, so my brain wasn't even fully alert how it usually should be. So it was very stressful, but I got the grades, I got my degree, and then I got into Warwick, um, and that was when the whole other massive journey of health um, with study really began. But yeah, that was what it was to get to university. Wow, no, that was a journey. Um, people, some people don't understand when you when you have chronic illness, our lives are so unpredictable. And if we don't have the essential care, and I think, if, you know, coming from Nigeria, like yourself, I think this is what they're missing with disability people, people yeah. with chronic illness, is that we're not bad. We could add to society, but the only problem we have is that we probably need sometimes a little bit of more time. In yeah. I know that helped me a lot when, that, when, when the university then identified that okay she's a special needs student so she yeah. should do her exam in a separate room mm. with you know other, other special needs students so we got a little bit of extra time we had to we're allowed to drink water and that made my exam more comfortable rather than mm. when, it, when it was under that strict regime of you know where people are in that line up and you could see about 100 children and you get so nervous because you don't want to be the one to ask a question and one of the kids all the 100 kids are looking at you and that adds yeah. Was but once I was moved to this room where there were just about 10 of us, it just calmed my neck and I was able to focus on my exam. And even if I raised my hand because of I had a question, I wasn't nervous because these people all had we all had individual problems and no one looked at me funny or different. So I seriously understand where you've come, how you've managed to overcome this. And I really appreciate you taking your time to tell us that story because I think it will touch someone in your, a younger person out there who's looking to go to university but not knowing what steps to do or how to go about it and when you keep sharing these words it will then encourage people um to go to university that we can do it like you're doing it i did it we can go to university we can excel but the only thing is that we just need special care i think that's where you're getting at right yeah 100 percent. because things are very different for us literally as you said my hands wouldn't my hands got swollen that's why i say i have arthritis tendencies for me i think it's more linked to my inflammatory bowel disease but my hands got swollen all the time in yeah. exam in exam prep i'm one of those people that like to write a lot in order to learn and i do law so writing and reading all of these things are very essential to your degree so writing i was writing huge quantities of stuff in order to revise my arm would be done by the end of exam season continuously I was in so much pain in my right arm because of how much I was using it. And this is the thing, extra time is everything because it means you can have breaks also. 
and breaks are really important in your exam routine and your structure so I also have special time now at university they give me like um, I think it's an extra 30 45 minutes on the top because my exams are three hour long exams um, so they give me breaks in between I have breaks and I have extra time so they've literally made it so yeah I have yeah I in order to do okay I can drink my water I can even bring in like a small snack if I feel low in energy and stuff like that so and I do it by myself in a room or with other people like me in a room and I think it's important to know that this this help this extra stuff you're getting doesn't mean you're less than doesn't mean there's a problem with you it just means you're different and you need different things in order to succeed. It doesn't make you difficult either. I think it's okay to need different things to succeed. So yeah. I think that's something that we luckily are getting more and more in the UK, but hopefully it's something that they can acknowledge and start to work on throughout the world. That's true, I agree. Well, um, and then I'm gonna move on to this um, pandemic. Yeah, we all live in, um, everyone is isolated at home, staying home. And there's a coronavirus. And one of the things that captivated me, it was that you said you had the virus. I, I think I did, but I never got tested because my sister tested positive for it. And my, um, my brother-in-law also tested positive for the virus because they both do frontline jobs. And I remember I saw my sister, I had a bit of pneumonia. I was feeling very unwell, but I decided I needed to fight this. I didn't get tested, so I can't officially say, all I know is that I was very sick for four days, extremely sick, like when you're in hospital and you just can't take care of yourself anymore. But I, I heard you had it. So could you tell me how do you think you got, got the virus and what the steps take me through it? Because then probably I probably can know for myself if I probably did get it. But yeah. what from your step? as a sickle cell person now someone with chronic illness what steps did you know first that you got it how did you get the virus and what did you do to fight to stay so, i would say that i got it in early march before they were doing testing in the way that they're doing it now mm -hmm. that's what made it different i think if i went in later on they would have just tested me immediately mm -hmm. um but they didn't test me it was my mum through my mum is how we were able to confirm that that is definitely what I had it because she got it from me. I actually gave it to my whole household of eight. I'm one of eight, like I live with eight people. My mum is remarried, so she has, we have three step siblings. So all together there's six kids and then there's my mum and my stepdad. So very, it was such a bad experience because my whole house, I came home from hospital being really ill for a long time and my whole house got the virus like everybody was ill and but you came home from hospital for that oh were you sick already i was sick so basically i was in hospital and i had the virus at that time we just didn't know they hadn't um diagnosed me with it they hadn't said oh you have the virus mm -hmm. um in early March, I was in hospital. I was really ill. I was dealing with lots of weird symptoms that I was trying to explain. This is not my usual symptoms for my sickle cell. But I think because you have chronic illness, it's easy for people to mix it in with that and yeah. think, oh, maybe it's just something to do with that. But it was very really not when I came home and gave it to everybody. And that's what really confirmed it and how my doctors were able to tell me, yeah, like, no, probably that's what you had. Um, so what happened is in early March, I was really ill. I was dealing with a lot of hot sweats. 
um, temperature off and on. I had a really bad headache, really bad earache. Even now, my ear is still recovering. Um, I saw an ear doctor. She even told me, like, I have a hole in my eardrum that is healing. <laughs> um, I had um, a lot of throat pains and stuff like that. I had a really bad day of chest pain. I had one or two days of chest pain that was very, extremely bad. The summer before, I had pneumonia. And I was in hospital for five weeks. And um, it was in my left side, mostly that I had it but so this time when the pain was in my left side I was really really concerned I remember going into hospital telling them and they all thought it was kind of to do with maybe sickle cell or one of my other conditions they just didn't really understand what it was and they weren't giving tests unless you were showing up coughing a lot I think that's the mistake I think they made quite quite early they only thought how it could present in one typical way yes. and and that's what I think they're learning now. It really presents very differently in everybody. Um, so I was not coughing that much. I only coughed about, I coughed seriously, but it was only for one to two days. As I said, my chest pain was only one to two days and it was very bad, but I was throwing up a lot. I was very nauseous. I lost a humongous amount of weight. I was so small. It was ridiculous. I don't think I've ever been that small before because I probably did for like two weeks everything was just coming back up mm. um and I remember my mum was trying to get to me to eat but it just it wasn't it wasn't working out for me um so I was dealing with all of these different things I was going to hospital my white blood cell count was extremely high but yeah. they generally thought it was an infection they didn't understand that it was the virus because I think they really just attributed it to my other illnesses but what, when I came home and my mum had been the person driving me to hospital she had been the person who was probably interacting with me the most during this time extremely sick um when I came home and it was around everyone and my mum started getting chest pains very severe ear aches headaches very fatigued very tired my sister the one that had the liver transplant was coughing all day and all night um and she was in a lot of pain severe pain abdominal pain using the toilet quite a lot um, all of us were going through these symptoms all around the same times. My step-lip siblings, the thing that was really interesting actually was to see how it affects those that um, are chronically ill to those that are not chronically ill because if my step-siblings are completely healthy and um, they were really generally just ill for like two days. It was two to three days, then maybe feeling a bit not themselves for like a week. But when really the, the worst, the peak of it was only two to three days, whereas the peak of it for probably myself, my sister and my mom, all people that deal with um, chronic illness, my mom has sickle cell also, ours was like two weeks very extreme, at least two weeks very extreme. Um, so when my mom had to go to hospital, they discovered, they were like, yes, you definitely got COVID, she tested positive, they kept her for a long time. Um, we had an A&E ambulance come round to our house and tell us, yeah, you guys are probably all dealing with COVID right now, You're, we're gonna take your mom. They took my mom, she had the COVID virus. When she was in hospital, they treated her um, and she wasn't able to come back home to us for quite a while because my doctors were the doctors dealing with her and they were quite concerned that she would give it back to us because they don't know at the moment have it more than once. Mm. So big concern of theirs. Um, and eventually I went to hospital again after this kind of season ended and they like, that very much confirmed that yeah like that's what I'd been dealing with my mum had been dealing with it all of us had been dealing with it so it was quite clear that was what we were all going through but um 
I think it's important with people with sickle cell that we really pay attention to the fact that, yes, you have another condition, but pay attention to the things that look different that don't usually show up in sickle cell. Mm. So how did, you, how did you fight it? How did, you, how did your body, how did you prepare your body to fight it? And did you say your mum has sickle cell as well? Yeah, my mum has sickle cell. Wow. So, yeah, that's why it was very extreme with her, I think. Mm, um, yeah. It was really bad in her chest. She was really struggling a lot. Even now, I would say that she's still recovering from yeah. that. In her. Um, and obviously, she's a lot older than I am. So the body's ability to fight things is not the same. Yeah. But the people with sickle cell had to prepare themselves. No, honestly, I really don't know how much you can do because it's such a novel virus. But the only thing they really is that drinking and eating as much as you don't, as much as you may not want to, because it's the most comfortable thing to have to put food in your system when you're ill. That's the energy you need. Drinking is that you have to do. People with sickle cell need to understand the importance of water in dealing with all of these things. I would say mindset is also really important because you don't want to become not depressed, but you don't want to become overly anxious and scared. Yeah. But I would have to go to hospital, you do need to go to hospital. Like this isn't one of those things you should try and figure out at home. If you feel like you're having the symptoms, if your chest is feeling very heavy, if it's feeling very uncomfortable, if you're struggling with breathing and stuff like that, call one one one, but go to the hospital if you have to. Wow. Um, I, I really, I really appreciate you telling me these uh, few steps because I think a lot of people, for myself in particular, I was actually so scared of going to the hospital because I thought um, it was filled with people with coronavirus and I didn't want to, um, you know, they probably won't have time to look after me because everyone is so busy looking after other people who are more, more, more serious than I was at the time. Yeah. So I had the very bad chest sy- syndromes. Uh, it, it was really bad. I had to go on antibiotics. And, but over the, over, over the years, I've let my body and I've learned it really well that I could even tell when there's something just not right anywhere. So mm-hmm. when I start getting symptoms like this, I force myself to have lots of lemon and ginger and lime. That's what I, yeah. I force it into me. I just drink like a well. People think, wow, you drink a lot of what I do drink. Then also with the food, I, I think people should just forget about, I tell people, if you're ever on a diet, when you're on well, forget about the diet and just eat whatever the body craves. Because when the body is craving that, it means the body, that particular nutrient is missing in the body. So you absolutely need that. So even hearing that from you, supporting that kind of theory with, with someone else, who has that chronic illness makes me also happy that we're kind of learning that it's all about how you take care of yourself, how you train your mind to do things. And that really, um, you know, takes you to the next level. I think that even brings me to my next question, which is about how do you stay positive when, when, you know, because you're still young and you still have many years ahead of you. Uh, How do you stay positive and how would you encourage others like yourself to stay positive um, whenever they're going through a downtime? Because not every time, we don't get it right all the time. There's so many days where things are not the way we want it to go. How have you trained your mindset? Because now everyone is into big into mind and we never connected sickle cell and mind, especially when things don't work. Yeah. What, what, um, what are you doing to stay, especially during this quarantine time, you're staying at home with your family. How are you guys coping? What are you do, do, doing differently when you're just always at home now? 
I think it's really, really important, as you said, to acknowledge the correlation between mental health and physical health. Um, this is something I think we really need to learn how to highlight more when we're talking to sickle cell patients about how to take care of themselves. Because as I was saying earlier, literally, stress is one of the biggest causes of crisis. And if we're not learning how to keep ourselves in balance and keep ourselves stable when it comes to how we're thinking about things, then we're going to have more crisis. That's just one of something that's quite inevitable, to be honest. So I've learned to control what I, what I put in, control what I put in in terms of the media, um, the things I'm allowing myself to see. That's something that I think is a really big step and taking time for myself. So that could mean telling people that you're not available in the same way that you used to be available to do certain things. If you need to be taking a break maybe from different out social media outlets, like take a break from different social media things if you need to do that. Another thing I find really helpful is journaling. That was something that got me through university um, and the really hard periods of university when I was extremely ill and by myself um, and my family was here in London and I was back at Warwick. Journaling really helped me to work out my emotions and my feelings. I'm very spiritual also, so praying is really important for me. It really helps calm me down and give me a sense of relief. Um, that is something that I think I, I rely on a lot. Um, reading my Bible also is one of those things that I turn to a lot. Um, but really for your mental health, I think it's just really important to think about what you're putting in, how you're taking time for yourself, giving yourself a certain amount of time every morning to kind of just reflect and go over things, um, check in with yourself, figure out how you're doing and also finding community of people to talk to is really important. Um, people that have likewise struggles to you, people that are going through similar things to you, whether that um, the exact same illness or just other chronic health communities I think it's really important to find community because you'll realize that you're not the only body any person going through what you're going through um, for me I think something that my mum told me I'm very lucky in the sense that my mum was very aware of sickle cell and she understood what it was so I wasn't I was very I was made aware of all the different things I would kind of deal with from a young age so she would always tell me that, yeah, like life is hard. Life is always going to present its challenges. But what matters the most is how you react to it. Mm -hmm. So something I've really tried to implement in myself and my thinking over time is not reacting out of panic, um, not reacting out of fear, but taking my time and trying to react in a way that will help me and push me forward rather than make me take step, several steps back and take me down a cycle of sadness and like depression or something like that. Mm. So those kind of try to implement um, in my thinking and try to practice. But yeah. Well, I love that. Um, what your mum taught, taught you. I wish my mum knew a little bit about sickle before um, she had me. But because um, I think I was, I always said to myself, if I had a, um, a, a child right now with sickle cell, I'll be able to guide that child to making sure they have the best care because I um and when I mean best care I'm not saying that it has to be um you know, most expensive or whatever but it's, yeah. for me it's all about the best case knowing what the child needs 
knowing that the child needs extra help and don't be ashamed to ask for it, knowing that the child needs to drink water and they need to eat mm-hmm. right. They, you know, there's certain things that children need and they just, um, you can't help it. But, you know, with so many sickle cell um, people in your family, I was wondering, do you guys have, a, any of you have any strange habits? I have a strange habit and I always still find it weird that I do that. I, I, you know, I eat sponges. I've been doing okay. that, you know, I'm not kidding you. I've been doing it for many, many years. And people say, some people say they have weird habits. They have to eat chalk. Um, people do other things. I'm, I'm like, why do I have this weird habit? Where did it come from? Um, obviously not doing it now because I had to really fight to stop doing that weird habit. And then I used to wet the bed. Uh, a very, I stopped wetting the bed and when I was 15. I didn't go into puberty quite late. And I was wondering in your family, did you guys have any of this free or any of this weird symptoms? Or? Uh, I think I um, didn't have that many weird symptoms when I was younger, but I know my brother dealt with quite a few things. Um, with his, I know that young boys can have quite a few issues when it comes to that sort of thing when they're quite young. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have that many weird sort of ways in which my sickle cell presented itself. It was very atypical, very like low hemoglobin, that sort of thing when I was really young. My mum, though, I know that she had an issue with that when she was younger. I think she had the prolonged time of having those issues with the bed when she was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite sad because her mum didn't understand it in the same way. Yeah. Um, aware of why she was doing it whereas when my mum was older because my mum was diagnosed with her sickle when she was 15 that's when they realized she had it so when that when she was older it was kind of this it's quite unfortunate because that's when her parents were able to realize oh she wasn't just misbehaving or she wasn't just being disobedient she actually had this illness and this is why she couldn't do a lot of the things and didn't develop in the same way my puberty was very late though I would say that I think my um period only started when I was like 15 um and I, I it just all came at one time it was very quick but yeah I think I've also noticed that I feel like I developed later in general yeah. but my I, that was something that my mum was able to explain to me from a young age that syphilis developed a bit later on mm. but yeah okay um they're coming to the end of it but I wanted to you to share what are your plans for the future what 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 are we where are we going to see you and I know I'll definitely be meeting you after this quarantine is over, but what are your plans for the future? What, what, what are you going to do that will make us, um, you know, keep helping people out there with sickle and, you know, your work and law? What, is your, what are your plans? Um, I have so many and I'm trying to figure out in my head how to make them work, to be honest. Um, something that's really important to me is, as I've said a lot, community, um, community for chronic, people with chronic health issues. And also that community and that role of learning how to advocate for yourself at university is really important for me. Um, and that's something that I would like to establish. Um, I've, I have a really big passion to like develop some sort of um, charity or some sort of organisation that helps university students with chronic health issues and teaches them how to advocate for themselves, but also gives them a sense of community. Because at university, I feel like I felt very on my own in what I was dealing with for a long time. I wasn't meeting a lot of people that were having the same experiences as me. So I felt that I was the only one going through my particular struggles. But as I got older, I realized that, oh, no, other people had been dealing with it, too. They'd just probably been more quiet about what they were dealing with. So that's something I really want to establish. Also, finish my law degree, um, go to maybe do the bar or the LPC. Um, 
And then hopefully just going to human rights law is something that's really important. Work for some NGOs, maybe the UN, work, work in the um, global health sector also. Yeah. I'm really passionate about trafficking, so that would be something I would want to get involved with, um, fighting for human rights and stuff like that against things like human trafficking and modern day slavery. Mm. Um, yeah, I really care about that sort of thing. So those are really the passions for me in the future. In terms of sickle cell, I think I just want to continue to spread this message, spread awareness, um, more talk about donors, blood donors, um, and that sort of thing, just in any way I can, anywhere I can really, to be honest, just clarity and understanding, because we are fortunate to live in the UK where it's not as taboo, but I still feel there is a certain air of taboo and an air of, uh, I'm really aware and understand it. And that's something I would like to get rid of for the next generation. Well, I, I would join you in your efforts, whatever you, wherever you need support, just send me a message and I would definitely join you and support you anywhere I can. Because I think what you're doing is, is bravery. It's is really, you know, you've really touched me because I've learned just by talking to you, I've learned a few things myself on where I need a little bit of tweak, especially with mindset as well. Um, you are, you are, no, you're brave, you are, you are doing the things you need to do and you're just doing it freely, not think, overthinking about it, which is where I see a lot of gaps today in today's world. There's so many gaps because people are overthinking things. But when you have a chronic illness like what we do, you just have to learn to take it one day at a time and still do the best you can to help others. Yeah. And now I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you and I really appreciate your time. And once this is all over, hopefully we get to meet soon. And keep shining. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. Thank you.